Fantastic to have you back for our show, Think Pickerwise Human Humane Architecture. This is our 258th show, and you're around to be our 13,850th viewer. So thank you for that. And we have DeSoto back. Hi, DeSoto. Hello, Martin. Hello, everybody who's watching. Good to have you back, obviously, at work in your Bishop Museum. But you don't have to be at home anymore uh, because last week we missed out on you because you took kindly care of your 102-year-young mother because she had some cough and she has a great immune system and bought it once again. Awesome. <laughs> yes. That's, gr that's great to hear. And we can get the first slide up that we're going to mainly stay on for today. Uh, but uh, yeah, health-wise, uh, we, we were just in the news because Hawaii... Maybe not so surprisingly, but we should, uh, you know, remind ourselves why um, it's been ranking uh, as number one in the United States as the place where people get the oldest. Yep. You know, not everyone gets to that fantastic age of your mom. Uh, statistically, I think it's 82 or something. But that's a lot more than somewhere in the unfortunate uh, southern belt of the mainland United States down there in the south where uh, there's a lot of poverty, there's a lot of obesity, uh, the climate isn't very conducive of all these things. So that's why the circumstances don't really allow people to be that healthy. And that's really, really sad. Here, uh, increasingly, uh, many people also don't have the circumstances, although, again, the natural circumstances are still more or less the same, although climate change is affecting um, all of us in one way or another. But it's always affecting anywhere in the world, always the one at the lower end of the food chain more than the ones on the upper, because the upper can always keep maintaining uh, their uh, standard of living. If we look at the top left uh, show quote, this is what we're mainly going to gravitating around the soda. We were talking before the show that I have a social study going on that gets me out of my comfort zone, which I usually have in a sort of an essentialist way, I hope to say, easy breezy in my Grand Hotel in Waikiki, bicycling up to Manoa. I have it set up in a convenient way that it works for me. It's in line with my values. But uh, I am fortunate to have my wife and her, our sons with me. And that puts us in a different position. All of a sudden, we're experiencing more what increasingly many people uh, experience on the island. And what is that? Let's talk about that. Well, one of the things that you and I were discussing before we, we started the show this morning was the prevalence of cars. And we talk about this on a regular basis. And it's something that interests both of us. And something that I said, first of all, as a historian, is that if you look at older photographs of suburbs here on the island of Oahu, when they first began to be developed very intensively in the 1950s and into the 60s, you see in many cases the layouts of the streets are the same, many of the houses of the lots, of the size of the lots are the same, although, of course, many houses have been rebuilt to be much bigger. But one of the things you really notice is the lack of cars in the older pictures and the abundance of cars in the newer pictures, meaning that when some of these houses were built, there may be had, maybe there were one or two cars per household. Today, those same houses in those same suburbs probably have four or five cars associated with them, which means there are lots more parked cars on the street. 
And that is what you and Suzanne are going through right now. You have to have two cars because each of you has to go different places and your sons have to go different places. Exactly. And, and I used to say that in Germany where cars are way more expensive to afford to run, we have a, a huge tax on gas. So gas is way more expensive, prices of cars. So I used to say that um, in Germany, you were the richer you were, the more cars you were able to have for that reason. In America, it's been for a while, for a long time, unfortunately, that the poorer you are, the more cars you have to have because you got to drive everyone around and people have to have multiple jobs and have to drive to these multiple jobs. And the lack of a robust, uh, really trans public transportation, you have to do that, right? If you can still afford it, obviously, if you then can't afford that, you need to ride the bus and then, you know, better the bus system needs to be. Ours is supposedly pretty good, but on one day, they, you know, they're in Kalua over the Kulau Mountains. I, I was about to go there and the bus was delayed for an hour. So what are you going to do? Your employer is not going to be putting up with that, right? We are privileged again. So everything we're saying now, I want to make clear, um, I'm still sort of very privileged. And um, again, even if, um, you know, we're paying uh, for things here with money. Last time I said in your absence, uh, the ones in the Ukraine and elsewhere in the world, they're paying with their lives. So that being said, we're still privileged if we have these monetary problems. Uh, there's always people who are even worse off. So um, again, everything we're saying here. I have to say a big thank you to our magic mechanic, Larry, who is first-generation immigrant American. He escaped uh, the uh, communist Vietnam, his native country, when he was young because he couldn't stand anymore. And on the way getting out, he got caught and they imprisoned him and he escaped again and finally he made it. And he's the most hardworking, warm-hearted person on the island. Uh, he uh, wanted to help us out, which he did with his old, uh, well, it's a 20-year young, uh, just turned uh, basically legal age, so to speak, 21 uh, car, a Mercedes C model. And he was talking in a very warm-hearted uh, but caring and worried way about his wife that he says she always unfortunately has health issues. And when one thing is healed a little bit something else happens and he compared that to this car which he had been prepping for us you know the engine looked like it can eat from it got a tune-up but somehow there's something that every other day uh something breaks down and so he in this case was a serious thing transmission he tried to get an old part which didn't work he had to dig into the transmission drain all the transmission fluids he then got a part from the mainland, a new part. It came in two days ago on 11 p.m. at night. He took uh, off uh, time off work from his regular job where he works on the police cars um, to keep them running, to then dedicate his afternoons and evenings and weekends to us, uh, old Mercedes, uh, mainly uh, in the past our um, publicly investigating car that we only drive once a week for that purpose and otherwise stays on the street and I use my bicycle, as we said. And then uh, two days ago, we had that rain shower come through. He lives, uh, he works in Gritty Kalihi. Uh, he has no cover. So he got all rained on by the time he was calling us and saying mission accomplished, he was all wet down to the underwear. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Larry. And this is what keeps people running literally and figuratively who are in the same situations 
solidarity uh, of other people. Larry then didn't charge anything but the support of the parts. He donated all. And again, he's not a used car dealer who gave me a warranty on the car. He just wanted to help us out. So again, Larry, we can't thank you more enough. And it really gives me a sense of how people must feel. This morning I came over from Kailua. I got stuck in that traffic that all these people get stuck in who have to live somewhere else than they work. So this is really a valuable experience for me. And the next valuable experience will not about Bill, about uh, transportation, will be of uh, inhabitation. And what is that one? We talked about it, that you, you brought your eyebrows up, which you're doing again. Well, yeah, as you just said, your wife and your two, your two sons that you share are here from Germany. Um, your younger son is a teenager. He has, raises his voice, he yells. Uh, your wife and two sons had to move out of where they were living in Kailua. And so currently everybody is trying to, you're split up. You're trying to make do with what you've got in Waikiki, which is an extremely small apartment uh, with your younger son. And that obviously is going to be something that you're going to be coping with as well. And so this is something, again, that is all tied to lack of living space. It is tied to uh, having to commute. It is tied to all of these things that we have been talking about. And it also, we, we talked about the sources of food, et cetera. We don't have to get into that right this second, but you living in an urban area of Waikiki find that you do not have easy access to a lot of healthy food. And this is true for a great many people who don't have a lot of money in particular, who live in urban areas where there are only convenience stores. Now you're in Waikiki, you don't have easy access to a large supermarket that has a lot of fruits, vegetables, and other healthy foods. So if you were like a lot of other people, you'd be living off of convenience food that you picked up for cheap and you'd be eating things like donuts and other stuff in addition to spam musubi. So yeah. that would be impacting your lifespan as well, as we were just saying, for a healthy, good lifespan versus a non-healthy one. That's another major aspect of how people live and don't necessarily have access to the food that's going to keep them alive for a good long time. Yeah. Good point. And that's our social study. I mean, for the time being, until we find someone who's able to host the two of us, we're going to be the four of us on 230 square feet, right? And um, so that means, but again, uh, hope up and using this in a constructive, productive way. If I would be back home and we're ending summer soon over there and we're hitting fall and winter, and we're scratching our heads over there. I'm actually dedicating my first assignment in my studio to that subject matter. And I need the help of the emerging generation here to help us out from getting, getting freezing and frostbites over there in Germany. So here we're privileged. So we got to figure it out to once again, what we always talk about. But, you know, when Eric and I talked, he said, you know, people have all these commodities and, comf and, 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 and comfortable, uh, convenient things as TVs and devices and stuff that we fill our spaces with, right? And that we indulge in. And, and you said we got the big freezers, right? So we, 
you know, in the lack of the local convenience grocery store around the corner that some of my research has been going to in Germany, which we're building community grocery stores, there are several shows out there about it. Here you have to drive out, then you buy a lot because you don't want to drive off often, and then you throw it all in your big freezer that we don't have the space here on 230 square feet. So we got to figure that out, probably Kaimuki farmer's market, you know, things like that, which you can access maybe. And then uh, again, the, there's the Kapiolani Park out there. That's going to be the living room as well as the, in the show about the Waikiki Grand, we dwell on that. We said there is the lobby. And in the lobby, as long as you behave. So again, the youngsters have to control their, uh, their, their, uh, their pupitarian power, right? And I refer them to not that many weeks ago to that other good role model of Dwayne Johnson, right? Because he got evicted and he found a way to turn it into the right angle and basically say, okay, that taught me to believe in myself, work on myself and make the best out of it. So that's kind of the social study we're in currently. And again, it makes us really feel for the people out there who are increasingly through COVID, through climate change, uh, through gentrification are increasingly in that situation and are unfortunately lots of them leaving the islands. So our interest to Soto and Senator Cheng, who is professional interest in that area, affordable and social housing, sort of uh, coincidentally or intentionally always sends us his newsletter right before the show and we just said we should return that favor and send him our shows because we were talking about the same subject matter right so we are addressing that always mostly not every show but every show uh, volume at the end when we're wrapping up we're having suggestions out there to improve uh, the situation so let us return to our comparison to the other windy city chicago uh, looking at this other show quote at the bottom left there, uh, this is the building we're currently looking at. It is the, which was formerly called the, uh, the Vista Tower, and they renamed it to the St. Regis. And that is the building that almost parallel to the recent Howard Hughes Tower, the, uh, the Koula, which I was talking about when our car broke down last time, there's always a good, good thing about everything bad because it gave me the chance having been stuck at Koalo Basin, that gave me two hours to look at that building and to see similarities again about the mobile and the immobile and architecture and, and automobiles. That Mercedes is not an easy breezy one. So we had to bring the power windows down on that way one broke. And so that reminded me that it is less, uh, you know, bioclimatic than the SL. And it also then, when you look at the Kula now that the Lanai is that it greatly has, uh, but they don't really deserve the name Lanai. They're more loggias, which we explained, which are carved out of a mass. So air is not, get, can get to it as if they would be sticking out or as if everything would be easy breezy, as we kind of say. So um, again, um, I was already sharing with the audience on behalf of you because we had rehearsed the last show that you got a kick out of the base of that building in, um, in, in Chicago, Genie's parallel building to the Kula, uh, the St. Regis, because there's hula going on. 
uh, at the bottom of it, and there's a there's a hula skirted boat that that is named Kona, Illinois, or Kona, Chicago. So that's how much everyone still would love, you know, even in the summers in in Chicago, where it gets pretty hot, actually hotter than here, and it gets more humid. So even in the summer, they're dreaming of us. And we were thinking about, again, just like the sugarcane as an inspiration, self-acclaimed for the Kula. Uh, here we're trying to find out and, and Jeannie helped us because on her website she talks about gently swinging and swaying in the wind and we said maybe it's wanting to do the hula and I was stumbling around that a little bit and after that uh, at the Dokomomo board meeting uh, they announced this article here about uh, Jean Charlot's uh, architect Pete Wimberley's Charlot house in uh, Kahala that Graham Hart had contributed to as have been quoting him. And this is making us, you know, be big there in, in New York and the New York Times and all around the world where they're reading that. And they have this even more wonderful quote that they were sharing about the hula. And let's talk about that, that a little bit about the, uh, the, the kind of the spiritual part of it, but also the materialist part of that. And, 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 and as far as the different ways of dealing with that in different cultures and religions and faiths, right? So how about that? Well, there's there's a quote uh, that that comes from this New York Times article, and it's in it's right there, and I'm going to read it out loud. The domain of the native peoples' akua gods was felt in the elements, in a swelling wind, which dancers would personify through their limbs in their sacred hula. And what we're saying is, and what we're finding an allegorical connection to, obviously, is the and as the writer did too. How does the movement of the wind, for example, as indicated through motions from the hula, how does that connect to a building? Well, it's easy breezy. And that means that you are letting in the air that you want to have come in. But at the same time, you also are aware of there are times that you don't want the wind to come in. So here in a land where we basically have two seasons rather than four distinct seasons in the temperate zone, during the summer, when it's warmer, we do want air movement, but sometimes in the winter, we don't want that air movement because either the wind is a little chilly or because it is blowing in the rain. So ideally, you want to be able to accommodate both of those seasons through how the house is not only situated, but how it is constructed, how you can open it up as well as close it off in the times that you need to. Absolutely. So you're saying that in your culture, well, in my culture, there's only one God for everything. And then it makes it a little fuzzy, uh, to say the least. Um, and uh, in your culture, it's way more pragmatical because you have got all these fantastic elements right there. So you dedicate a God to each of them. And that way, the God becomes more tangible. So in that case here that we pick, it's the wind. So the hula is basically an homage to the wind and the dance is an homage to that. It's an interpretation of the wind. It's people mimicking the wind. And therefore, you know, it's easy breezy. The dance is easy breezy. It's the hula skirt or it's the malo, you know, they dress less. And it's the natural fibers versus the one that we now cater to the tourists and we don't have enough fibers and we're not interested. We make them be manufactured in China out of plastic and just sort of pretend, right? 
So that was really sort of interesting here in, in, in picking up on that again and thinking about, again, a genies and a tower, and then it's sort of swaying and swinging in the wind. And uh, let's go to the next slide. Again, in Chicago, we got these two different seasons. So uh, our friend Ron and long-term uh, co-host uh, has always been dwelling on these blankets that almost every a realtor, um, you know, um, developer seems to need to throw on their beds, which uh, Ron pointedly on said they're wrong here because you hardly ever need them. But let's talk here about this coming up, uh, scaring us because of Putin and everything around it. Winter coming up and all our heating builds. My dad just shared with me uh, the other night that the uh, his uh, energy provider just sent him sort of the, the prepaid notice for his gas bill and it tripled, right? And so that's that's scary. This building here in the winter time, assuming it's really high end glass, uh, in best case triple pane glass, uh, when the sun is uh, uh, in your direction of where uh, these uh, binoculars are there. Uh, then uh, that could help heating you. So that's that's a good situation in the wintertime, passive solar gain. Uh, that might heap, help to keep you warm and keep your energy bill uh, low. But Chicago also has that other season, that summer season that we have, and there's heat waves. It gets really, really hot, hotter than here, and it gets way more humid. So how is that recognized? We don't get any indication here in that picture, right? So we just are sorry to have to assume this is centrally AC, got the AC blasting, fossil fuel, Putin's gas, whoever else's gas, that gets us increasingly in trouble economically, ecologically, climate change wise. So that is something that makes us wonder about how basically happy of a dancer, hula dancer that building really is. Exactly. And I just want to also point out, too, that, uh, again, as from a historical viewpoint, looking back in human history, humans went through great periods for most of human history in which you didn't stay very warm in the winter when you lived in cold places because you couldn't. It wasn't possible. You just endured. And even in the 20th century, there were times, particularly in Germany and other countries during World War II, where there wasn't any fuel, where everybody just had to suffer through being frigidly cold. And we've attained a state where we expect to be comfortable all the time through the use of fuel. And particularly in the colder parts of the world, it is in Europe for sure, that's not going to be possible this winter for everybody. So we are going to have to go back to, you, you talked about the blanket in the photograph, People are going to have to be wearing thicker, warmer clothes everywhere they go, whether they're outside or inside, in order to stay warm and to survive. And it's going to be going back to a time when we did not have ample electricity, ample power to make ourselves instantly comfortable. And I'm very grateful I'm not going through that, that I'm not in a cold country, but it is a very, very big concern as the summer is going to turn to fall and then winter in this year yeah. of 2022. Yeah, and Suzanne, our exotic escapism expert with a degree in tourism and 
business and the combination of this reminded us of the term USP, unique selling proposition. And we're not capitalizing on that as we should do because we don't need all that stuff to keep us from freezing, right? And the other subject matter we're not capitalizing enough on, this is uh, Senator Chang's subject matter is affordability, right? And again, um, just back to the, to, the, to the climate part, again, the, um, the, the Aqua Tower has Lanai's that they deserve the most, the firm. Then uh, the Kula has some, Logia's, and this one has none. So we see sort of a de-evolution there, which uh, we're not happy about. We also see a de-evolution as far as affordability because we started out with the sort of ancestor of the Aqua Tower, the Marina City, like two weeks ago when we talked about, we found units that we could snap still for a quarter of a million. Then in the Aqua Tower, it's uh, less affordable, you know, uh, because they're already, the cheapest one was half a million. And in this one here, I think the cheapest is maybe a three quarter of a million. And the most expensive one is 60 million. So we're talking here that the, the kind of the nature of that beast here is what we don't need more on the island because this is high end, uh, not only sort of as far as the real estate, uh, but also as far as the architecture, uh, of course, also making that sort of cur swoopy curve has a cost. There are these dancing columns as they sort of over romantically call them, but also that is not an effortless dance. Uh, and the hula isn't either. It's very, you know, it takes a lot of concentration and discipline to dance the hula, but you do it for a good cause, for a good God that is sort of helping to conserve the environment for the coming generations, right? This dance here might be not so much. This might dance for the God of capitalism. <laughs> that it does. That is that very, very self-serving, right? Yeah. Um, in the self-interest here. So that is, uh, that is quite critical to basically look at. So um, yeah, that's uh, what I guess we have to say for today. Uh, sorry, but again, we mean it as an encouragement. If Jeannie and everyone else is listening to us uh, in her office, uh, we encourage her because she certainly with the Kula, it is the coolest tower looking wise of the Howard Hughes ones, but it could and should be way cooler uh, substantially and not just formally. Yep. And we will look into it a little bit more on two more slides when we will then keep walking on and look at the other stuff in Chicago that we seem to uh, be uh, jealous of in many ways as far as our architecture looks here and their architecture looks like. And until then, uh, please all stay inclusively easy breezy, breezy easy. Bye bye. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.